0: Well, friends, this has been a challenging teaching to prepare for. As you can understand, there's a lot of different views on uh, this kind of ministry. And uh, we have lots of different words for it, spiritual warfare and demonic deliverance, deliverance ministry. And um, there are a lot of different views and uh, perspectives on this. So as we uh, sort of dive into this, let's, let's begin uh, with prayer and ask for the Lord to… Uh, reveal His Word to us. Would you pray with me? Father, we submit our minds and our hearts to You. We submit our bodies to You, and we ask, Lord, would You uh, do a new work in each one of us? Would You, Lord, give to us new hearts? Uh, We ask, Lord, that You would transform us more and more into the image of Your Son, that we could… Uh, stand in the place that you have put us and be the man or woman that you called us to be. We ask for your truth to be revealed and that you would, Lord, not just scatter the darkness, but scatter the, uh, the, the misunderstanding and the, the erroneous teachings of our day. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. When I was uh, in college at Wheaton, Um, A lot of new experiences were there to be had. I came out of a uh, sort of a non-Christian lifestyle and home growing up, and then I became a Christian in the Baptist Church, Southern Baptist, um, where they just did an incredible job of preaching the the gospel truth that uh, we are saved by Jesus. And before that, I didn't know who Jesus was, had never heard of Him, and thought that uh, the word Jesus was actually a swear word because of all the times my dad said it and all the times my mom said, don't say that. So um, when I finally heard the gospel in ninth grade, I became a Christian and attended the Southern Baptist Church and, and loved it through my high school years, but by the end reached that point of, of feeling like there's got to be more than um, what they're teaching. And I asked questions about what I was reading in the Bible, you know, this passage in, uh, in the gospel that we read today where The disciples were given authority to heal every affliction, every disease, and even the demons uh, were subject to their authority. And so I would ask the Southern Baptist pastors, you know, so why don't we see a whole lot of what is described here today? And I got the typical answer that I think some of you may have heard at different points. Well, that just doesn't happen today anymore. That was a special time. God doesn't work the same way today that He did back then. And I was really unsatisfied with that, particularly because in high school you see a lot of students struggling with all kinds of problems. We had Wiccan students that were attending our school and very excited about rituals and, and the different kinds of things that they were practicing. And they were agnostics and atheists and people with really broken families and situations where they were really doing everything they could just to survive uh, the difficulties of life. And I felt like we needed what was happening in the book of Acts or in the Bible, we needed it today. We do. We need it today. People need uh, to be rescued by the Lord. And so when I got to college, it was sort of a… at at Wheaton, uh, sort of a gathering of people from every kind of Christian tradition. And I was kind of intrigued by those that identified themselves as Pentecostals. You know, they were very energetic. Um, I think… Uh, to be a Pentecostal, you have to be a flaming extrovert. And um, they had lots of uh, interesting and fun ways of praying, sometimes very loud ways of praying. And, and so I found myself joining several charismatic groups on campus just to worship with them, because they, I mean, let's be honest, they worship better than everybody else. Um, and they put the Baptist to shame when it came to energizing worship and good music. And uh um, in one of these groups, I was hearing um, a girl, a woman, uh, who was uh, in the, this ministry on campus. She had uh, graduated several years ago. She was a grad student in a program, and she had shared with the group how depressed she was and how she'd been depressed for a long time. And then later, she and I found ourselves having uh, coffee at a table, and I asked her her story and she said that she was a part of a uh, charismatic group and uh and i had asked her when she started feeling depressed if anything had happened in her life and she said well we went to a hospital where a really close friend of ours had died and we gathered around the the person who had died our friend and we just prayed that god would raise this person from the dead and she said ever since then i've been depressed and i said well how long ago was that? She said, three years. So I said, what did you guys pray? What did you guys do? She said, well, I mean, I wasn't leading the group. I was just a part of the group, but we all held hands and stood around the body, and um, we had the, the people in the circle hold hands with the person who was dead, and our leader just prayed that the spirit of death would come out of the body and into us right? This is a Christian group. And, and she said, and, and something happened to me, and I've been just plagued by depression ever since, right? This is a problem. And I was like, that is not the right way to pray. I mean, I don't know much. I'm a Baptist, but that doesn't sound like the right way to pray. Um, and uh, when I had asked some folks at Resurrection I was attending here at the time, you know, this happened. What what did they do wrong? I'm pretty sure it sounds wrong. And they're like, wow, that's wrong. I mean, some of you are like gasping out there because you know that that's not the right way to pray. It's a prayer called um, substitutionary prayer, where you basically take the place of Jesus, and you pray that all this darkness or sin or, or bad stuff would come into you instead of onto the cross. And unwittingly, this group of students had basically invited darkness to come and to bother them. To, uh, they invited darkness to be a part of their life. And, uh, and she didn't know that um, that was a mistake, didn't know that that was something that she could confess to the Lord and renounce that, that erroneous way of praying and be free from whatever kind of darkness she had invited into her life. And because she didn't know, she just lived with that struggle for years. And so we were able to pray for her and lead her through that time of of renouncing the prayer that she was a part of, and she said, I was amazed because it was one of the first dramatic prayer times I'd experienced as a college student. She experienced her whole life change, and that depression lift off of her, and she, felt like, she said she felt different like she had years ago before this experience had ever happened. And I thought, wow, this is a real thing. Um, and however Christians like to think about it or talk about it, I became a firm believer that day that, that, that spiritual warfare is a real thing, and that um, it is a real help for us as Christians to be informed by the Scriptures on this topic. So um, my main idea for today's teaching is this, that every Christian has the authority to pray for the darkness to be scattered. Every Christian has the authority, according to our gospel passage today, to uh, pray for uh, spiritual darkness, to pray for the demonic to depart. That Jesus, in the giving of the Holy Spirit to us and in dwelling us, has given us that authority to cast out to send away, to command, to depart. And so I'm hoping that by the end of this teaching that you will uh, feel more confident and more encouraged to, um, of what to do when you encounter something that is spiritually dark or troubling to you, that you will know how to respond to it and not feel helpless or lost. So. Every Christian can rebuke the unclean spirits, the demonic. Every Christian can um, uh, pray that Jesus would intervene and be a part of what's going on. We've been given authority by the Holy Spirit uh, to command spirits to depart, and they are subject to our authority, Scripture tells us. So the ministry of demonic deliverance, in my experience, is most of the time not very dramatic. It's certainly not what many people have seen or experienced through the media. Um, When I said to someone that… I I shared this last week. When I had said to someone who was an intern of ours a year ago that that we do pray for unclean spirits to depart and leave people alone, he then went to his place and sent me a video from YouTube um, that was completely ridiculous, and he said, is this what you do? And, you know, it's, it's out of some crazy—I showed it to Val. She was appalled. Um, and it was quite humorous, um, but also humorous not in a good way. And, uh, and I said, no, we don't do it like that. That is not what we do. It's not dramatic. We just pray um, for people to be free from the influences of darkness and our culture. And, and, that, and people respond and report back that something has changed for them that there's been a lifting of a a pressure or an oppression or a depression, uh, that there is a a change that they experience. So, um, whenever we talk about this, one of the first things that we do is we kind of distinguish between uh, demonic oppression and demonic possession. And uh, Scripture and church tradition has taught us that Christians who have invited the Holy Spirit to live inside of them cannot be possessed by uh, spiritual darkness. We are possessed by the Holy Spirit. We belong to God. We're children of God when we are born again in the kingdom of God. But Christians can be oppressed. They can be bothered. They can be um, uh, pestered by uh, the demonic in our culture. And there are a lot of times that Christians invite darkness to bother them. And so, you know, a, a, a A perfectly uh, correct or theologically correct image of demonic oppression is like a little demon perched on your shoulder, bothering you, whispering in your ear, afflicting you, but not controlling you. That's the difference. Um, When you read in the Bible stories of people who are possessed by demons, these are men or women who actually have had demons live inside of them just the way that we have the Holy Spirit live inside of us, and they are controlled. They cannot control a lot of what goes on for them. Um, Val taught two weeks ago on the discernment of spirits and how um, the the, uh, spiritual reality is that they can influence your will when there's a possession involved. And um, I don't know that it's very common to encounter someone who is spiritually possessed, but we encounter people who are oppressed, who are bothered all the time. And that's a majority of the kinds of ministry that we do, is Christians who come to us, who say, I need help, I'm experiencing this problem, and we pray, and someone discerns, there might be, uh, you know, a spiritual darkness involved here, let's just pray uh, and send that away. And, uh, And that's how most of us experience it. Um, here are some common uh, uh, thoughts about this kind of ministry that I just want to go through. Um, we often hear from Christians who are uh, empowered to pray uh, in this way. They often will ask, just like some of the disciples in the, in the Scriptures, um, why weren't my prayers effective? Do you remember that passage in the gospel where um, a man brings… Uh, a demon-possessed person to the disciples. and The disciples pray, and they're unable to uh, have an effect on the situation. And the man brings the person to Jesus and says, the disciples couldn't do anything. Can you do something, Jesus? And and then he prays, and the disciples come to him afterwards and say, why couldn't we uh, deliver this person? And Jesus responds, well, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. So we hear, why, why aren't my prayers effective? And um, uh, I think it's really important to know that uh, the demonic um, is, it, it, that we can't rebuke a, a, a demonic oppression when someone has invited that, uh, that presence uh, into their life and does not want to let go of it. So for example, when we're praying for someone, who uh, has a sinful habit that they have embraced and don't want to give up. Uh, Oftentimes, you'll see this in a sexual lifestyle, someone who's embraced an immoral sexual lifestyle. Um, Sexuality is one of the common ways that darkness is invited into our lives uh, through immoral uh, sexual behavior. And so if a person is unwilling to renounce that lifestyle, uh, to give up that habit, um, then it's really hard uh, for us as prayer ministers or as Christians to bring about a kind of deliverance for them from darkness because they have, by their will, invited and chosen to stay in the place that they're at. And so our prayers can only have a certain degree of effectiveness when another person does not choose uh, to follow the Lord. Does that make sense? Um, And so it's really important for us as we pray for others that they're uh, saying, this is what I want. I want to be free. I want to stop doing this behavior that I'm doing. And their will is engaged in the prayer. And we have them pray, you know, um, Lord, I turn from my sin. I renounce this behavior and this choice that I've made. And now, by the the authority of the Holy Spirit, I ask, Lord, would you send far from me all demonic presences, all unclean spirits? They are engaged in the prayer. And uh, that is, in my experience, one of the most common reasons why I would say Um, You know, why weren't our prayers effective uh, when we didn't see a change for someone? Demons stay because they're invited to stay. As Anglicans, one of the things that really helps us is we uh, can rely on the sacramentals. Um, And so I want to talk a little bit about the sacramental rites. Uh, You, by being here, um, have noticed that we like to use things like water. Um, We don't just like to have water fights. We actually use it in our um, prayer time, and we have um, a longstanding tradition going back through the the Catholic church back to the second century of um, Christians coming into a worship space and having water, baptismal water near the front, near the uh, entrance to the sanctuary. And Christians, if you've ever been in a Catholic church, will dip their fingers in the baptismal waters, and they'll bless themselves as they come into the sanctuary. And that tradition comes from um, that uh, going back to the second century, that understanding that by being in the world, by living in the world, we are constantly around um, uh, darkness. We are, uh, uh, we are living in a dark world. And we have these encounters with people or places um, where the darkness may have been invited in. So if you go into a temple, Um, that's sort of been a place of worship to uh, idol gods. Um, You're going into a place where there may be, uh, you know, darkness present, and you can be affected, uh, just like you can be affected in a crowd of people by someone who is angry or mean. Um, They can affect you, and when you come into the sanctuary, it's a common uh, Christian practice to uh, call on the Lord to scatter the darkness from you as you come in, out of the world into the sanctuary, and, uh, and that's the symbol and the use of the baptismal waters in blessing yourself. Um, it's, it's a constant acknowledgement that I'm in the world and I can be influenced in the world or pestered in the world by darkness. And so we will use the baptismal waters when we pray for people. Um, uh, another one of the sacramentals is the, the anointing oil that we use. Um, We use one of the sacred oils, but there are actually three sacred oils. And uh, now that we have consecrated uh, a bishop here in our church, we're going to be uh, blessing the three sacred oils this Monday, Thursday. And the oil that we use all the time is called the oil of the infirm. It's for healing those who are sick. But there's a second oil that we've begun to use more frequently called the, the bishop's oil. It's the sacred oil of chrism. And He uses it to anoint and consecrate those being ordained and those who are uh, being confirmed. It's also the oil used to anoint the head of a baptismal candidate um, as it sort of connects confirmation later to the moment of baptism, um, particularly for babies. So they use the oil of chrism um, for baptism, confirmation, and ordination. The third oil that we haven't talked about at all and that we haven't used and have never in my 18 years of being at this church had anyone bless, any bishop bless and have us use is the the oil of exorcism. It's the oil called the oil of the catechumenate. It's the only oil of the three sacred oils that you use on those who are not baptized. The idea is that the the effectiveness of the oil of uh, healing and the oil of chrism Uh, doesn't extend to those who are not baptized. And so the oil you used on the unbaptized is the oil of of the catechumenate. So you anointed everyone who was preparing for baptism with that oil, and that's the oil you used if you um, felt like someone was coming into your church and they had a demonic possession problem. And uh, this oil vial was given to Stuart uh, recently, in preparation for Monday Thursday. And he said, look, I have the oil that I'm supposed to use at, uh, at your ordination. And I said, no, 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 no. Don't use that oil on me. That's the oil of exorcism. Um, please use the oil of chrism. And uh, he's like, ah, oh, oh, you know, I got to get used to all this stuff. Um, so uh, I, I'm sure I, I would have benefited from both. Um, so uh, as we sort of set apart that oil, that will encourage our prayer ministers and our clergy and staff that this is a ministry of the church as we think more and more about reaching the lost and those who are far from God and who are living every day in darkness. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about was the, uh, the use, historically, of the crucifix in uh, this kind of ministry. Val, would you come and share a little bit about this? Instead of… Forgive me. Instead of uh, researching this, I just decided Val knows
1: everything. She can come and talk about it herself. (laughs) Uh, This is a a simple and beautiful uh, crucifix from our our sacristy. And um, uh, the death of Christ uh, on the cross is, he does redeem our sins, but he also overcomes all that is evil and dark in the world. Um, I wear a little um, Eastern Orthodox cross, and it has a verse from the Psalms on the back. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. And um, Jesus takes upon himself um, all the darkness of the whole world as he dies. Um, When you think of him suffering on the cross, um, he is suffering because he's bearing our sin, but he is also bearing all of the darkness that comes against the creatures of God. Um, Satan's desire is to stamp out the image of God in the world by oppressing human beings. And um, all of that darkness um, comes upon Christ. It is part of his suffering. And as he is raised from the dead, his enemies are scattered. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the crucifix is a very, um, I don't know what if you've ever been exposed to a Pentecostal uh, deliverance thing, but my experience in, in college of that was it involved a lot of yelling at the demons, Mm -hmm. Um, which is very traumatizing actually to the person. Um, Sometimes I think that the trauma that came to the person actually gave the person who was praying the idea that maybe something had happened, Um, but actually they were injured, they were traumatized by all the yelling. Um, I hate yelling, you know, like I cry when people yell at me, so I found that very traumatic. But there's something so simple that darkness flees uh, before the cross of Christ. And um, we uh, can—sometimes it helps even hold a crucifix. If I'm praying for someone and I know that they have really suffered, um, I'll say just see that darkness going out of your hand and into the cross of Christ. Anything that has oppressed you can um, come out of your body And let this be like an icon, like a window, for it to go um, into the body of Jesus.
0: That's great. Thank you, Val. I reserve the right to call you back up for any other uh, knowledge that you may have. Um, One of the things that I think is helpful in uh, the use of the crucifix is reading that passage in Exodus where uh, serpents are attacking the people of God in the desert. And it's, um, I, I think, a, if I remember the story correctly, a judgment on the people of God. And as they call out on the name of the Lord and um, uh, beg for God to rescue them, uh, God, Yahweh gives the instruction to Moses to take um, the, the image of a serpent and to put it on a cross and to lift it up. And everyone who looks on the lifted up uh, condemned image of the serpent will be saved from the attack of serpents and so there was this it, it just direct connection between jesus lifted up on the cross as a, a, a image of being condemned and you know earlier in exodus the serpent being lifted up and um, in the same way all who look to the lord all who look to the image of the Lord lifted up and condemned on the cross are rescued from um, darkness. And the symbol of darkness throughout much of Scripture are the symbols of uh, serpents. So in America, you know, we're pretty materialistic. We're pretty focused on what we can see, what we can touch, and we aren't very spiritual generally as a culture. But if you go to a, an Asian culture like uh, Thailand, um, Everywhere you go in Thailand, they have spirit houses on every property, in every house, at every business, every restaurant. There's a little house that looks a lot like a birdhouse. It's about that size, um, where there's incense burning, flowers are there, sometimes bits of fruit are there. And uh, as you go around all over Thailand and you see these, um, when you ask, "What, what, what are these Little birdhouses that you have on your property, the explanation they give is this. There are spirits everywhere, and they're malicious, all of them, and they will mess up what's going on in your house or your business unless you can sort of appease them. And the way we appease them in our culture is we create a place where they are invited to come in and dwell, and we give them offerings, and they stay sort of docile there in the spirit house but if we forget to give them offerings of flowers and fruit and incense they come out of the spirit house and they mess with us so we keep appeasing them by putting flowers and fruit and incense at the spirit houses and it's everywhere you go it's a practice in the culture now on top of that in the thai culture a symbol of great fortune is to have a brood of vipers live on your property broods of vipers are invited um, and a, just a sign that great fortune is going to happen. I don't understand the flip in good versus evil there, but um, when a group of Christian missionaries in Thailand experienced having a brood of vipers move in under their house, they could not find exterminators. No one in the Thai culture wanted to, and they couldn't understand why these Americans would want the vipers removed poisonous vipers. And so, uh, they had to find some other Christian man who would be willing to try to tackle and remove these uh, vipers from their home. Um, and that's how, like, immersed uh, the Thai culture and many other cultures are in the spirit world and, uh, and how they, day in and day out, interact with, uh, with malicious spirits that, uh, in a Christian worldview, we acknowledge and understand our, our, our demons. Um, one of the things that I think is, a, is a, a big obstacle in our culture as a result of being pretty materialistic is there are, there's just a lot of denial in our culture that anything going on in our lives is spiritual at all. And so uh, even though this young woman that I shared about in the, in the story at the beginning was a charismatic sort of uh, believer of, uh, you know, God and His angels and, and malicious demons, Even she uh, was not aware or denied that her struggle had anything to do with uh, a spiritual oppression. And so I find that uh, Christians, by and large, are so influenced by our culture of materialism that we can actually sort of put up with uh, spiritual oppression um, for years uh, without ever having any relief because there's a kind of denial. I think that a lot of spiritual oppression is not particularly dramatic. I think a lot of it's very subtle. And people can think as they're getting older, this is just old age. I'm just dealing with old age a little earlier. These problems in my body or in my memory or whatever are just a result of old age. And so um, we have this sort of like life is tough, just grit your teeth and bear with it instead of um, asking for, Uh, the prayers of the church to come and help. Now, on the flip side of that, um, there's another kind of problem where every problem is demonic. Every toothache is demonic. Every cavity, every um, sin, every tempting thought, um, every sort of mean comment a friend makes is a result of a demon. And, uh, And that's not very helpful either um where we give up responsibility for our own sins or we relieve other people from any responsibility and just blame it on the demon that may or may not be there so um, i think it's really helpful if you weren't here two weeks ago or if you were and you just can't remember uh, val's teaching two weeks ago was on the discernment of spirits the gift of discernment of spirits and how it's not a gift of suspicion um and that it's a real uh, necessity in uh, this kind of ministry. Uh, I think also the book by C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters is really helpful. Um, if you haven't read it, it's uh, a fictional story of um, a, uh, uh, sort of two demons in dialogue and one is sort of a superior demon somewhere higher up in the hierarchy and there's a sort of lower on the totem pole demon who's been assigned to an ordinary human being who at some point in the book uh, becomes a Christian and the experienced demon is giving advice to the uh, inexperienced demon on how to really afflict um, a normal human being and how to uh, sort of dull their senses and to steal the joy out of their lives and what I love about Lewis's creative literary depiction is that um, most of the ways that uh, this one demon counsels the other is uh, is extremely subtle. That there's this subtlety, and um, uh, they exploit in the book our human blindnesses, you know, our blind spots, and so. Um, I think it's a really creative and helpful book to read if you're into fiction and um, are struggling with a lot of different Hollywood uh, perspectives on this topic. So um, here are a couple of practices that I think are very unhelpful that we have seen other Christians um, that we've come in contact with in how they operate in uh, deliverance ministry um, val mentioned the first one shouting that uh, demons won't come out unless you shout at them i don't understand the basis for that um, but i do think that perhaps some of the uh, responses of individuals to being shouted at have led folks to believe that something happened something the demon came out look at the way they are you know, terrified and fallen on the floor, we must have done the right thing. Um, So we don't endure shouting. Um, There's also in uh, different parts of Christianity the idea that certain phrases just do the trick. If you just say the right phrase… So I've heard in uh, one circle that every prayer must be prayed, um, that we uh, plead the blood of Jesus. So you have to plead the blood of jesus in order for anything to be effective well we don't think it's helpful to emphasize specific phrases in uh, praying for ourselves or for others um, and that it won't work unless you say the the magical phrase Um, i think in some sort of more catholic circles uh, that do pray for um, people who struggle with different kinds of oppression uh, they can endorse this view that um, only, the, uh, only the clergy can do this and that you normal people can't. Um, I think that's extremely unhelpful. Um, and so we want to basically discourage the idea that there is sort of an elite Christian circle where this happens and um, that uh, if you're not in that circle, you just simply cannot pray uh, 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 in this way. So, uh, while I've been here at this church for 18 years, I've seen several people, both lay and ordained, um, pray very effectively um, for people to be free from darkness. Um, and they are confident in, their, um, in the authority that they have given to them by the Lord to pray this way. Um, some people that I think are just really confident and natural at it are people like Phil Kenyon, he's a deacon, Margie Fawcett, Val and Mark McIntyre, both have have probably been praying those prayers for years, Um, Kevin and Karen, Stuart and Catherine. Um, One time I watched Val walk over to someone that a group of prayer ministers was gathered around and praying for, and they were, uh, I would call it playing the waiting game. They were just praying and praying and praying and waiting for something to happen. Um, And Val just walked over to that group and sort of asked everyone, "Would you please scoot out of the way? Would you, could you scoot over? I just need to get in." And and um, she would just ask everyone to move out of the way. Um, Val, why don't, why don't you share the story? Um, first person is always so much more helpful than third person.
1: Um, it's it's actually a little more um, a little more lively than that. Yes, uh, I get more lively. Okay.
0: So <laughs> my, my wife is always criticizing me for making stories too lively and not quite truthful. So Dawn.
1: Yeah, an exception. Um, so, I, it, it was a relatively large gathering, and um, one uh, woman had sort of lost it in, a, in the public meeting. And so, um, someone had just kind of helped her out of the room into a more private place. And um, I came a, a, upon, uh, was one woman laying on the floor. She's crying, she's writhing, and then, then there's like four people, there's maybe six or eight people You know, yeah, just like a dog pile and and not only is the poor woman hysterical all the prayer ministers are hysterical There's a lot of blood of Jesus stuff and all kinds of things going on and in my heart I just did not discern that there was anything demonic. There was a lot of emotion, but not anything demonic So I I went up to the woman and and um, got her to open her eyes and I said hi. My name is Val. What's your name? And She's like, oh Sue or whatever and um, I said can you tell me what's going on here? She said, well, I think I have a demon. I said, well, why? Because I feel this numbness in my fingers. I said, oh, okay. Well, why don't you just kind of sit up and take a few deep breaths, and, you know, so she did, and she kind of, you know, the sobs kind of slowed down, and, and I said, well, let's just sit here for a minute, okay? I said, you know, I really don't think that you have a demon. And um, she said, my hands are starting to feel a little better. <laughs> I said, why don't we just go get some lunch? <laughs> and so we did, we went to get some lunch. Um, and it was really that simple. It was the, the drama of the situation, because it was so dramatic, there had been a misinterpretation of um, this, this woman's emotions. And, and she, she was maybe a little hypersensitive. She needed to be able to say, I'm really worried my hands are tingling, for someone to say, can we talk about that a little bit more? Yep. Um, and it was really very beautiful. Um, she really actually, her, her need was for great reassurance that um, the Lord was with her and that she was not being taken over by a demon. Yeah,
0: yeah I think that, um, wh- uh, one of the common uh, misunderstandings is that when people behave crazy, that must mean that there's a demon. And, uh, and, and I have to say, sometimes people just behave crazy. Sometimes people um, have learned like, attention-seeking behaviors in certain charismatic environments, and uh, they get attention if they can... Act up somehow. Act up somehow. Mm-hmm. So, Val, what are some other ways that you think are common mistakes that Christians make in responding to these kinds of needs?
1: Um, I think the main thing is to misinterpret human emotion. Um, I was uh, in Europe one time at a, at a conference, and uh, the person leading the conference held up um, this crucifix. And um, someone in the audience just started crying profusely and screaming and whatever. And, uh, you know, your, your first interpretation would be, oh, it was because of the crucifix, it must have been a demon. Um, in actual fact, uh, they were Dutch, and in the part of Holland that they were from, um, in the wars of religion, um, there had been martyrs who had been actually martyred in front of a crucifix. And they had been, you know, family members. It was, it was a very—that that crucifix elicited just this phenomenal sorrow and sadness, and um, what they really needed was forgiveness, um, to extend forgiveness to those who, who had so you know, grievously misused uh, the name of Christ and misused the crucifix. And it was very beautiful as that, as that person received that, um, he said, you've given me the symbol of my faith back again. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it's so easy in that situation to, just because the emotions were demonstrative to name it as being something um, demonic. So to mistake demonstrative human emotion. You know, like really bad things happen to people and sometimes they cry and they screech. And you know, it's like that is just human, it's just the cry of the heart erupting um, out of the body. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to mistake that for something that's demonic. And the other one would be uh, bodily sensations, I think. I've even seen things like, if you see, if like someone shakes their hands, it's the spirit of this, to misinterpret bodily movements also as being something um, that's demonic. I I was in a meeting one time where someone actually had a full-blown seizure. And um, she, I mean, we needed to call the ambulance. It was not, uh, it would have been so, dangerous for us to have, you know, stood around shouting uh, at, at her or trying to deliver her when actually um, it, it was a seizure that needed to be dealt with medically. Um, and our bodies also express emotion, and so it's just very important not to jump to conclusions because a person acts out of character for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, that's um, yeah. critical.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I found most helpful was just simply knowing that as Christians who are helping people, we can, we can just have a dialogue mm-hmm. with individuals and ask them what's going on instead of just uh, jumping to a conclusion right. and engaging them in a conversation. Sometimes um, I've seen Val just tell people to stop, stop what they're doing and they just stop, mm-hmm. um, whether it's the shaking or, or whatever behavior they've learned to, uh, to attract attention. And uh, that's so relieving because that seems really simple um, and and, and, and not
1: it, it really honors the dignity of that person, person. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah because if, if a person is expressing that kind of emotion or bodily movement they often feel really out of control and exposed and ashamed mm-hmm. and if you can help them to settle uh, themselves um, and to treat them with great dignity it's a great ministry to them as a human being Great. yeah
0: awesome well um, what I want us to do tonight is Um, really to encourage each one of you that as a person who has called on the name of the Lord and invited Jesus to come and live inside of you, that you have the authority to pray for others, but you also have the authority to pray for yourself. Um, I do think there are situations where we need to invite the church to come and be a part of what we're going through, a kind of suffering, A kind of um, oppression but I also want to emphasize and um, underscore how important it is that we pray for ourselves that we ask God to come in the middle of a difficult situation where we might be experiencing uh, something from the enemy Uh, the most common is temptation Um, I do believe that um, a lot of temptation does come to us from outside of us um, if you think of your typical uh, man driving down uh, uh, 290 or uh, 294 and seeing all those billboards, and all of a sudden the temptation um, for uh, lust or fantasy just, just comes right at you. And it comes from the out, outside of you. And uh, that's a, a perfect example of what it means to be, to, to be influenced or affected by the darkness in our culture. And we can. Pray in those moments uh, for a scattering of the darkness, for a sending away of any unclean spirit in that moment. And uh, so tonight that's how I want us to to pray. I want us to begin with confession, because um, many ways uh, uh, a lot of the struggles that we can have are a result of the sins that we've committed. And so uh, we regularly as Christians practice. Confession, which is why we have it in our service every week and uh, on Sundays. And we offer times in the church here where you can make a confession uh, privately to a leader or a clergy person. Um, We'll be offering that next Wednesday for Ash Wednesday, uh, three times during the day where people can just come in without scheduling an appointment and just make a short confession and receive the forgiveness of the Lord. The confession of sin. Is what uh, uh, takes away any invitation for darkness to be in your life to bother you. Any confession um, of sin. Uh, For those habits in our lives that we knowingly commit that are sinful and we don't confess, it's just important to know that those are the places in our lives where darkness is invited to remain. Um, And Christians can go through the motions and still struggle with an oppression because they just don't want to let go of that one thing, whether it's an immoral relationship with someone or a a substance struggle that they just want to keep private and secret. uh, That is to be distinguished from Christians who are struggling with a sin, and they are repenting every week, and they are confessing all the time. Um, There's a difference between the willful heart that doesn't want to give something up and the person who is desperate to give it up but doesn't know how, right? Those are two different cases. And we feel like in, with a person who struggles with a habitual sin, let's just say um, sexual fantasy or um, uh, uh, a pornography struggle or a substance addiction, where every time they commit the sin, they drop to their knees and they confess to the Lord, Lord, I did it again. I, I can't believe I did it. I'm so sorry I did it. Please help me stop doing this, right? That's, the, that's repentance. That's a repentant person. Um, the Bible says that a righteous man is not a man who never sins, but a man who repents quickly when he does sin. And so as we confess, um, as often as we are able we loosen any invitation that we may have accidentally or on purpose made for darkness and um and so we'll begin with confession then I'd love to invite uh you all to pray a prayer of simply uh sending any darkness from you because this is a prayer I want you to pray in your lives as you go to work as you live in your homes as you uh encounter people who are suffering and troubled Uh, to be able to pray this way we often have our prayer ministers pray this kind of prayer after they've heard a particularly troubling story there are a lot of stories that we hear um, of really incredible abuse or trauma devastating stories and those images of what people have done to hurt one another can really stick in our imaginations and uh, they can be vehicles of darkness to bother us, to keep us awake at night, or to get into our nightmares and our dreams. And we need to pray this prayer of, Lord, come in and fill my body with your light and scatter the darkness from around me. If there are any unclean spirits in the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, send them away. And, uh, and then we can pray that for our homes. You can pray that for your car. I can't tell you how many Christians I've seen sort of pray that, you know… Um, uh, any kind of oppressive, pesky spirit would depart from their vehicle. Um, I think we jokingly in the office have a name for a demon that gets into the Xerox machine. You know, and we uh, will pray uh, every now and then. We try to discourage the use of holy water in that case. Um, but you know, like that's, that's how we live our lives is, is understanding the reality that um, there is darkness around us and, uh, and it, it comes in, and it bothers. so um, And then I don't want to leave us in that place of focusing on darkness. I then want to end our prayer time by a turning to the Lord. And there's this song in your, in your handout that we're going to sing, um, We Choose to Bow. It's a profound uh, song that uh, is about uh, re- returning to the Lord and bowing to the Lord and uh, sort of Confessing a uh, an allegiance, a commitment to the Lord, our God, turning from all other ways of um, idolatry or uh, living as if we are our own God, um, before we move towards uh, Holy Communion. So, if you would um, kneel or sit or make yourself comfortable, as we uh, uh, confess to the Lord, I'll just pray. Uh, uh, spontaneously, and then we'll sort of do the formal confession together that's in your bulletin, and, uh, and then we'll pray uh, some more. Pray, confess, pray some more. Thank you, Lord. Father, we do ask that you would um, protect us from introspection. Lord, we don't want to go diving into our own insides, searching for problems, searching for uh, sins. We just want to ask, Lord, would you shine your light on those sins that we should confess to you now or any ways in which we have engaged in the darkness of our culture lord would you shine your light on any images that have been bothering us movies that we have watched that have had too violent of content or um, sexual content that we try to just get through and and ignore but that have a real influence on us. Father, we ask that you would bring up those things that, uh, that are sin that we have not considered before. Lord, we ask that you would bring up any vows we have made that are unholy vows. Any uh, sexual immorality that we have not confessed? Thank you, Lord. Lord, we confess these to you. We confess any way that we have unwittingly set up an altar to an idol, any way that we have worshiped something else in our lives more than you lord god lord we renounce those idols we confess our our many idolatries idolatry of money idolatry of a specific relationship you lord thank you lord Father, we pray that that you would give us the conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit. Let us now confess together, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you Almighty God, have mercy on you. Forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen you in all goodness. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Amen. As we um, continue in prayer, feel free to stand or to sit, however you're comfortable. As we um, now will ask the Lord to come and, and um free us from any ways in which um, darkness has clung to our uh, lives, our hearts. Uh, and Val and I may, may pray, um, but here's, here's how I'd like us um, uh, to pray. If you would just open your hands in front of you as a sign of the invitation to the Lord uh, to come and to be uh, uh, We we often pray for a baptism of the Spirit, a a full immersion in the Holy Spirit that He would baptize every part of us. And uh, uh, and, and I would just uh, encourage you to pray for a few seconds that He would come and fill you. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Lord, I pray that you would fill our bodies with your light, our minds, our imaginations, and that you, O Lord, would reaffirm in each man and woman their authority to scatter the darkness, to command unclean spirits to depart. Lord, we pray that you would come in power, and that you would, O oh Lord, send away from us any, um, any afflicting spirit.
1: Hmm.
0: Lord, we pray that you would send away any uh, spirit that afflicts us in body, in mind, in heart, that we would be um, cities with strong walls and with light, with the doors that are always open, portals called praise, walls called salvation, Hmm. and that you, O Lord, would be our God in that city. Lord, wherever there are ruined places in our lives, our past, that you would rebuild the ruined places Hmm. where there is no life. We pray, Lord, that you would spring forth a garden of life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
1: Thank you, Lord. Would you send the wind of your Holy Spirit upon us? Would you blow out of our minds, out of our bodies, even the remembrance of uh, spiritual darkness or oppression that every hint of those unclean spirits, even the remembrance of them, would you blow on us, Holy Spirit, um, to make us clean. Thank you, Lord. To bring the fresh air of heaven into our minds and into our bodies. Would you wash over us with those rains, with those spring rains that bring new life to thirsty ground